1: You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast.
0: Peace. Thank you so much for joining me on the show.
2: I am so excited to be talking to you. You have no idea.
0: <laughs> I'm really excited to talk to you. I know we had we'd originally scheduled to talk almost a month ago now and, and ended up having to reschedule. So I appreciate you doing that. And I, I'm excited to talk to you for a lot of reasons, but one is just that you're talking about a subject that was never talked about growing up in church, like feelings was like a bad word. What do you feel about this? What do you think about this? What's the emotion driving this? Those conversations didn't happen. Like the mental health conversation was pretty much absent. So first of all, I just want to thank you for bringing that up in your book. Why do I feel like this? I I just really appreciate you bringing this into the, the Christian world a little bit.
2: Thank you for saying that. And I would have to agree, unfortunately, that even growing up in the church. That is my whole background. I still happen to claim to faith, but it's certainly a different kind of faith than mm. what I was raised in and what I was raised on. But you're right, and it's unfortunate. And so I knew that when it came time to writing a book and having an audience that seems to be a majority audience of people of faith, that I this is what I needed to talk about. Like, we're not going to do any more generations of church where we have to Ignore, dismiss, demonize very natural, normal, psychological, healthy human experiences. We're not going to do that anymore.
0: No, that's super important. And I'm curious, just really quick, not spend a lot of time on this, but what is your background as far as the church? Were you were you raised in it? Was it something that came later on in life? What was the the genesis of your kind of spiritual journey?
2: Yeah. So my parents, both of my parents were pastors. So I was raised, I'm a PK. (laughs) I was raised in the church. In my early years, we were just going to different churches, but my parents always served as leaders. So being just the deacon's daughter, the elder's daughter or whatever was pretty much what I was born into. And then my parents took on the church themselves. And then I was the first daughter, the first, Mm -hmm. you know, daughter of a pastor's kid, which meant a lot and it was like i said the faith that i practice now the the god that i believe in now is significantly different from what i learned who god was and i hope that's i hope i actually hope that's a lot of people's stories that what we're told about god whether intentionally or unintentionally, inadvertently is something that we are forced to reckon with when we get onto the real world and we meet all different kinds of people and go through all different kinds of experiences that can't be answered with a quick holy answer and that can't be fixed with a quick scripture. And it's not to downplay those things. Like I said, you know, earlier, I, I still claim, I still hold to the faith. I still find truth and revelation in the Bible, but it's not this linear, easy, say this and everything's going to be okay type of deal that I'm in the middle of right now.
0: Yeah, I, One of the, one of the quotes that you said that really stand, stood out to me reading your book was you said the most nefarious thing about our core beliefs is that they're unconscious. Like we have these default, we don't even know where they come from. We just have these kind of imprinted beliefs in. It's been one of the things that I wrestled with when I first left the denomination that I was in was I was taught one way of thinking for the first 18 years of life. Like This is how to think about things. And now I've gone back into that crisis mode a little bit of, man, I've been told since before I learned the alphabet or one plus one equals two, how to think about The world and life. And while some of those things may be true, and I still hold to a lot of those things as true, it it can be very difficult to even identify what do I believe? What is my parents? What is the church? And even beyond that, like what biases do I have? What negative beliefs have I been taught, whether verbally or not, that have affected me in a big way? And so it does, it takes a lot of work to unpack that.
2: Yep. And that's the right word. Unpack. Literally, there's a lot of unpacking that needs to, to happen when it comes to our beliefs, whether they be related to God or just ourselves or the world or whatever.
0: Yeah. When did you begin the unpacking journey? Like when did that start where you said, Hey, I need to figure this out for myself. Where do I stand on this? What do I actually believe about these things?
2: Yeah, it had to be, It it probably started first in college where, I, simple things where I would pray for things that I really wanted and wouldn't get them. Or I would have friends who had really hard things go on in their lives and in their family. And I did what I was supposed to do, which is pray and fast and pray Mm. for them and pray with them. And people would still die. And that I think was the beginning of, I think... I know in my heart that God is real, but I think this, I don't think this is as black and white and as, I don't even know how to say it. Like it's something is off. (laughs) My Something's a little off when I've been told, if you pray, everything is okay. Mm. You fix all your problems. Everybody else's problems are fixed. God answers just like that. And he answers in the way that you want him to. And that wasn't... Happening, certain things were happening, but why were certain things happening and then other things not happening? And so I I, I know that's when I began to reckon with the fact that maybe there was something that wasn't as kosher, or copacetic as I was taught to believe. That and just meeting different people, befriending different people who hold different identities than I do, that the church taught was not right. And I'm like, how is this person, just a person like me, who loves just like me, who wants to fall in love just like me, who's kind, just like, why are they bad? And I'm good. Hmm. It wasn't making sense anymore. So I think, yeah, college was the first time between loving different people and befriending different people and things not happening like this when the Bible and the church told me they would. I was like, oh, I, I don't think this thing is as what people want me to think it is. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense, but I, I just,
0: <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah. No, it definitely does. And I, I definitely want to dig into that a little bit. Like obviously the, just the mental impact of everything, but I, I am curious when you decided to pursue psychology, was there blowback from The faith communities you were involved with at the time was there, were there people that were upset you were pursuing that path or trying to maybe clinically approach things that a lot of times the church teaches should be dealt with spiritually. If you're hurting, identify trauma as bitterness, or they identify these different things as being these spiritual fruits, as opposed to being these mental, mental health issue? Or is it something that's a traumatic uh, experience that somebody went through? Uh, Did you get blowback from diving into those topics?
2: Yeah. And surprisingly, not from the places that I expected. When I I remember when I told my family, I wanted to pursue psychology, a little bit of context, I'm Nigerian American. And so being Nigerian American (laughs) often meant you were supposed to grow up and become like a physical doc, a medical doctor or an engineer or lawyer, (laughs) not a psychologist. What is that? So like back home, my generation, there's a lot of conversation of how we can advocate for mental health and like mental health services, because culturally that wasn't something that people respected a lot. So Mm. I remember telling my parents and them, just because of how they were raised, not being sure that was like a good way to go, but that was resolved pretty quickly when they saw that there was a field that was literally just perfect for me and who I was. But that said, I started teaching. I started, I'm a psychology professor at a small private Christian university still. And very grateful for the experiences I've had there. But because they are a very conservative Christian university, it was actually there that I experienced a lot of interesting (laughs) pushback. I remember I had a, a student once who was very disaffected by the fact that in class I had said something like, you can't pray away depression. Mm. And this was an intro to psych class, so I'm, I'm just giving an overview, trying to talk about the field of psychology and why it's important, why research in the field of psychology is important when it comes to helping people heal. And yeah, I said something like, you can't pray away depression. Like depression is one of those experiences that you need to seek support. Oftentimes it requires medication. Other times it requires just good old talk therapy and a bunch of other things that you need to be doing with your life. Yes, you can pray, but it's not necessarily that prayer that's going to be the turning point. And I likened it to physicians where, let's say if you have a family member who just got a diagnosis of cancer, Yes, you pray, pray, you pray for healing. You pray that this person has good doctors, but you're literally going to the oncologist and getting like the additional right. help that you need. I don't know why that same understanding isn't applied in a mental health field, but with this student, she came, she emailed me after class and said, I really didn't appreciate that you said that in my belief, God is a healer. God heals Everything and you saying that kind of was like disrespectful Hmm. to me and my belief system. And I was like, I'm sorry, honey, but I stand behind those words. (laughs) As a professional, mental health professional myself, as a researcher myself, there is no way that you can tell me that all depression requires is for you to pray. Lo and behold, this girl dropped my class and literally left the school. She was so bothered by the fact that I was saying something that I thought was as benign as you need a little bit more than prayer to heal from your clinical depression. And even a year later, emailed me just to check in to see if I'd learned my lesson because she left the school. It was the same answer. Honey, this is what it is. So I laugh about it now, but it was so distressing. It was so distressing, but I I know it was just symptomatic of, of church culture and of what collectively we've believed about mental health and what we've said to people when they're in distress is yeah. you just need to pray more and God will fix you. And I am not against prayer. I'm a praying woman, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. And it requires, it's all supposed to work together. Let me say it that way. Yeah. Um, it was designed to work together. I mean, that's yeah. it's just as simple as that to me. What,
0: why do you think there is that stigma because I remember growing up there was a lot of negative talk about using like antidepressant, you know, medication. I remember I remember my youth pastor, I just thought of this the other day, but I, I remember him saying that, you know, there's probably a lot of cause we we're talking about demon possession in one of the one of the classes. And he was saying there's probably a lot of demon possession that we just diagnose now. He said, and he was saying, oh, it's think about schizophrenia. That would have just been this. And it's I look back now at the time, it was just like, oh, that makes sense because that's what this leader's telling me. Like I was probably this, but now I look back, I'm like, "That's such a harmful view of people who have mental health conditions or are struggling with these different things. So can you break down why you think that stigma exists within church culture? Because it's one of those areas where it seems like we're behind the times a little bit when it comes to dealing with this topic.
2: Yeah, my first thought is, historically there's always been there's always how do i say this there's been a rotating door when it comes to understanding how to see the world so historically there's been times where people have used a completely spiritual lens to look at the world versus a lens that completely lacks spirituality versus anything in between, a completely medical lens. So for sure, historically, there's been an ebb and flow as to how culture, how societies see the world. And I think with the church, what's happened is that that's a, a body, a community, a culture of people that have taken to a spiritual worldview that has not allowed for anything else. Hmm. So whatever problem we encounter collectively or individually has to be a very supernatural thing. It, it it can't just be a medical thing. It can't just be a neurological thing. It can't just be a biological thing. It's got to be a spiritual thing. And then there are views, holistic views obviously that or integrative views that kind of hold everything together. And and I would say I'm an integrationist when it comes to worldview, but the church has taken to this kind of one dimensional view of the way Mm. everything works. So everything has to be looked at through that lens. Everything has to be explained through that lens. If it's sickness, if it's schizophrenia, it's gotta be the devil. It can't be the fact that there's something highly different going on in somebody's brain <laughs> that you know that is causing this uh, mental experience no it's got to be the devil because again they're anchored in a spiritual supernatural only yeah. worldview and just haven't evolved haven't matured ha- haven't been open to either integrating or entertaining other ways of understanding why the world has its problems. Not to like completely di- diverge, but even what I'm seeing online of how people are talking about the Israeli-Palestine like conflict right now, and I'm just seeing very one-dimensional <laughs> explanations and attributions and affirming stand with Israel. And I'm not trying to get into that and and say what's right or what's wrong. But to me, it's just, okay, there's just this thing we do as the church. It's the Bible and there's no other way to look at things and everything is right. And yeah.
0: (laughs) It's a good example though. And it's fine. Diverge away because that's that's what I like to do on this show is like get into this, some of these topics. Is But I, I think that situation specifically, I think there's a, a discomfort with saying, I don't know about something within the church. And, and I, I think that's actually one of the best examples you could have given. There was a comedian, I just saw a clip on TikTok and he was saying like, he was asking he was like, how many of you don't know enough about this to comment on it? but you're, So you're scared to say anything. And yeah, someone asked me about The Israel and all of the situation there. And I said, I don't know. I said, I really don't know enough about the politics of it. I don't know who has what land. I don't know who's doing what. If you look at the news on one side, it's very one side. I just don't know. And I've gotten increasingly more comfortable just saying that about different situations. I don't know. And I think when it comes to the topic of mental health, or when it comes to the topic of dealing with trauma survivors, or when it comes to the topic of dealing with someone who's been hurt by the church or is fill in the blank depression. There's a lot of people within the church that are uncomfortable saying, I don't know, and finding someone who does or can help diagnose that. And instead they have to give a spiritual answer for it. And and I see that all the time with political conversation. We've seen that in the last few years, like it becomes so crystal clear of, Hey, it's black and white. If you believe the Bible, you stand with this person. And on both sides, like, literally, I would see it on both sides. I see people now doing the same thing with Biden saying, Jesus would want this for healthcare and Jesus wouldn't want this for this. And it's maybe there's a gray area in the middle where where nobody's going to be this perfect, perfect person. I'm curious, I want to get practical for both sides of this for obviously the church, because I think the church has a lot of work to do in this area, obviously. How can churches properly start handling this issue. Because you mentioned your book, Spiritual Bypassing, which now that's frozen in my brain. And I've had tons of guests talk about it. I've I've mentioned it, but I've never had that name for it. But so often when the church is met with a situation, they don't know how to handle. The response is just, oh, I'll pray for you. Or, oh, it's going to get better. Or, oh, God has a good plan for you. Or fill in the blank. All things work together for good. So just hang in there. How can the church improve their response, first of all, to people coming to them with maybe depression, trauma, something that is outside the wheelhouse of just the purely spiritual realm?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say the first thing is to first realize that those type of statements are so destructive. So when I talk to churches, I, I like well, anybody, when I talk to anybody, I like to talk you know, in a language that people hear that matters. So what churches in general, they're invested in building their membership, growing as a church, bringing people to God, all of that good stuff. So let me tell you right now that (laughs) the one thing that is going to cause people to leave your church and leave the faith so fast is stuff like that is being told that everything happens for a reason when somebody's daughter or mother just died is being told that you just have to let go and let god when you are struggling so deeply with depression anxiety trauma all of these things that that were that are being spewed to people probably with good intention is the single the like the single most Just unhelpful, unproductive, hurtful thing to say. So I think once churches realize that your good attempt to make somebody feel better and to make them lean in God in one statement is going to have the exact opposite effect than you desire. Once you realize that, I think you'll be more open to, okay, what? do we say? What do we do when people are in pain? Because I think this happens for a lot of reasons. One, people don't know what to say. So they just regurgitate what they've heard from other leaders and from their own leaders or from their own family. This is what you say when someone's in pain. And for, to those people, I'll say, how's that helped you? Think about how not helpful it was to hear certain things when you were in pain. Don't repeat that stuff. So I, I think some people don't know. And I also think going back to what you said earlier is there is, there's almost, there's a lack of humility. There's a lack of humility in the church where people are unable to say, I don't know. I don't know why this happened. I, I don't even know what to say to you right now. But I'm here. But I think this kind of inability to accept that we don't know everything and that certain things don't make sense. And the things that we've expected God to do or the what whatever to happen in our lives don't always pan out. And we need to be able to sit with that and be like, whoa, like that didn't make sense or that was hurtful. So just a humility in the and an acceptance of not knowing and not having the right answers and letting that be okay. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian because for a moment, you're confused. For a moment, you can't explain why something is happening. God didn't tell us to be God didn't tell us to be him. <laughs> you know what I mean? If we're all trying to walk around being God, I know why this happened and you just need to trust and that. And it's not only is that not helpful, we're trying to be something we're not, which is God who is supposed to know everything. So none of it makes sense to me. To respond more specifically to your question, just embrace, again, embracing the unknowingness and If you don't understand what someone is going through, if you don't know what to say when someone is going through a a hard time, then just say that and say what you do know, which is I'm here for you and I'm not gonna let you go through this alone. That's literally one of the most powerful things we can tell to someone, say to someone, and show to someone in pain. Sometimes these conversations when our friends and our families and our loved ones are in deep distress, the best thing we can do is just to sit and be there. Literally, that's all. But we're, oh, I gotta say something, I gotta fix this, I gotta make sure their faith isn't going away. It's not the time for that. And chances are if you if that's what you're leading with, you're just going to do more harm than good. People need time. People need time to process and unpack and find their way forward. They don't need you in their head implying that they're not a good enough Christian or a good enough person because They're not just automatically believing everything's going to be okay. And that there's a reason why this happened. And it's just psychologically backwards to expect that.
0: It's it's, the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn, not explain to them why they shouldn't be mourning or how they should mourn. And to be honest with you, and this is, yeah, I guess I'll just be transparent, but that's one of the things that's really pushed me away from like the church as the corporation church has been... Exactly what you described is that you're not allowed to process things outside of the structure that they're giving you. And one of the I I shared a I shared a TikTok. I gotta get off TikTok because everything I reference is but it was a really (laughs) it was a really funny clip, but it was it was a video and a guy said, Have you ever explained why you left the church? And they Mm -hmm. say, No, why would do do you want me to explain it to you? And they posted like four or five quotes. And it was like, do you want to grab coffee? Hey, let's grab a coffee or let's meet up for coffee. And, uh, and that's been really, I've had that literally I posted that TikTok. I had somebody reach out was like, do you want to grab coffee and talk about this stuff? And it it was just, to me, I think what you mentioned a, a few sentences back and you talked about the number one goal of a lot of churches is to build up the membership, keep people coming in that has become for me like one of the biggest red flag stay away things for me is that it it does seem so focused on retention and marketing and building up this corporate structure because they need to there's a necessity to be able to pay for the the building and the music ministry and all this sort of thing. And so for me what I see when people reach out to me like and I guess I'll just use myself as as an example when people reach out to me and say, Hey, let's grab coffee or Hey, how are you doing? The question isn't, how are you doing? What they're really asking is, Hey, I haven't seen you in small group, or I haven't seen you in this ministry and we haven't gotten a tithe check in a while. And the, the, the veneer seems to get thinner as time goes on. And those reach outs get more specific. So I I think for me, what I would love to hear. And I guess if they're listening, I guess it's a good way to just get it out. But what I would love to hear from the pastors that reach out to me and say, Hey, are you good? Is to just really ask that. And the answer not be, I'll I'll never forget. I had a pastor ask me this, not to, again, not to diverge too much in this direction, but I had a pastor ask me, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, it was a few years ago and I said, Hey, I'm doing really good. Just got to raise at work. And me and me and my wife are doing better than ever. And their next thing was like, oh, we hadn't seen you in my small group or anything. Did you guys think about? And I was like, oh, so you weren't asking how I was doing. You were asking like, when was I going to take the next step in your progression for the customer journey? And that really had a big negative impact on me because I, to me it was like, oh, there's this corporate structure to it. It's not the genuine care and community that I think is really important. Everything you just said is really valuable. And I echo that. I think there is a lot of Yeah. People, but I think there's also people that if a pastor is listening, examine your motives. Is it to keep a member on paying your paying your paycheck every month? Is it to keep somebody in to volunteer for a ministry? Or are you genuinely reaching out because you care?
2: Yeah. And yes, your care should not be conditional on what that if if that person's going to continue coming to your church or pay your your Mercedes Benz Carnot or, you know, whatever. (laughs) I've seen all kinds of things and I'm like, "Mm, you must be short on Carnot this month. (laughs) So um, yeah, I'm with you. And there's like how we need to say, sometimes it goes without, it, it can't be overstated that there's good and bad, no very amazing pastors, people who genuinely care, churches that I've called home and still respect, but the truth of the matter is there's so much more of of the gross stuff, of the stuff that as a mental health professional, I'm just like, this is, this is gross. (laughs) This is destructive. This is oppressive. This is perplexing and it's not going to work. And I think I teach a psychology and religion course uh, at my university. And every year we look at the trends of people leaving the church. And Mm. unfortunately, and I've gotten hate for saying this, but unfortunately Uh, People were just losing, the church is losing more and more influence. Yeah. Um,
0: I think, I think this year was the first year, I forget who the study was through. I'll link it in the show notes if I can find it. But I think this is the first year where unchurched outweighed churched within the US. I think it was 51% were unchurched. And it's shocking. That just,
2: that just switched.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I remember a few years back, it was still a pretty good percentage Mm -hmm. still. So it's been a massive shift. And I think it is how we've addressed a lot of these one social issues, but I think that how we've addressed, I don't think that the election cycle helped on either side. I think there was a lot of polarizing things there. I think the reaction to the Me Too movement was a big push. I think that pushed a lot of people out, but yeah, there's a lot of people that are leaving in droves because of this these, the way these things are dealt with. And like this, this push to make people fit into the boxes they're supposed to fit into. I I do want to, I do want to get some practical stuff. We've got a lot of people that listen, who've experienced whether it be emotional abuse or trauma, mental abuse, spiritual, and then obviously a lot of sexual abuse, which is unfortunately that the most of the people I talk to who reach out to me outside the show and on the show, And I I guess what I would say, first of all, is for someone who was abused within a church context, that is the majority of my listenership. How do they go about pursuing community and setting healthy boundaries? Because I think a lot of times going into whether we're talking religious community, whether we're talking about going to a therapist, like when you're violating a place that is your kind of spiritual, emotional, like home, how do you go about progressing forward and doing that while also maintaining healthy boundaries with with other people?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm always really saddened to hear all the stories that I do hear about people who've been abused by the church. And it happens so much more often than I think people realize in explicit and subtle ways. I would say, and this can be hard because of the type of experience, like abuse sometimes, abuse sometimes makes it really difficult to do what I'm going to suggest that people do, but it's really, what's really important is to trust yourself as far as what feels safe. So the two things that are really important in healing are telling your story somewhere to Hmm. your therapist, to your friends, your small groups, telling your story and I talk about this in the book telling your story is a really crucial part of healing because when you tell your story it gives you the opportunity to unpack and i define unpacking as going in and looking at okay what did i take from this experience that i can keep with me and should keep with me mm-hmm. i learned something or what did i take from this experience that isn't good for me to take. What thoughts that I pick up that weren't mine to pick up. That's what I mean by unpacking, but that begins with first telling your story. You've got to tell your story, whatever, whatever you've endured, but you've got to trust what feels safe for you. So there's something very courageous about leaving a church or a community or a culture or a family because safety was threatened and your health and your sanity was threatened. And it's, like I said, it's courageous and it's commendable. And I would say that same thing that you trusted, that you listened to, to leave, should be the same thing that you do moving forward. As you look for community, as you look for a therapist, as you look for another small group, as you look for community online, trust what feels safe and leave what doesn't feel safe. So between having this goal of, or this understanding that it's important to share your story, and it's important to now find new community and new people that will love on you the way you deserve to be loved, making sure that's guided by this internal sense of, this feels good to me, and I feel like I can rest here, is what I would suggest, everybody do after they've experienced abuse in general. And obviously that's a really big term and there's all different kinds of abuse, but reestablishing safety and telling your story, just to reiterate are across the board, the two most important things a person should do when that's been their experience.
0: Yeah. I want to take this a little bit deeper too, because there's something I've wrestled with and and I think it gets beat up on a lot by a lot of people within fundamentalist circles. And then also just, I think culturally the ideas of things being triggering or needing to find a safe place, a place where you feel safe. I think that is really important. And I've, I used to be like everybody. I I was like, why do you need a safe space or why are you so easily triggered and all those sorts of things until really understanding it, talking with people and even understanding for myself, like, oh, there's some situations that definitely do trigger me in some ways and identifying those. What is the balance? Like how much should you prioritize stepping away, trying to identify where you need to heal, things like that. And then also part of healing indicates that you're not gonna be stuck in a pain, a purely pain position, right? There is some point at which you should be able to go to a certain location without it totally destroying you, or you should be able to get into this place without something snapping a memory or something like that. So to what extent should you push yourself to push through some of those things and try to grow, even though it's painful versus taking the time away to say, okay, I just need to heal. I don't even need to be near that. Like, I think for some people who've experienced abuse within a church, like my advice is sometimes, Hey, maybe just step away from going to a church meeting until it feels comfortable again. But at a certain point too, when do you step outside of that? What's the balance there? I know it's different for everybody, but maybe what are some ways to know when you're ready to venture back out?
2: Yeah. That's a big question. So a couple things came to mind because I like to use other spaces and other metaphors to, to help understand what we're talking about right now. So I immediately, for some reason, thought of what happens when you're, what you're eating. Let's say you have a tolerance, an intolerance to, to a certain food. Go with me. <laughs> There's a long period of time where eating that food is going to make you sick. And if you think about certain people and the certain intolerances they have, it literally may be something that they struggle with for the rest of their life. If they Mm. eat this thing ever again, they will literally, it's literally fatal. For more people though, And I've gone through this myself. It's about giving your body, your digestive system a a break from all the things that have been really bad for it so that you can heal. So some of us have all of these different intolerances, not because we're, It, it wasn't always that way. It's because we did one thing too much and it affected our defenses in every other way. And so now eating this, that, and a third all makes us sick. And so there's programs like Whole30 where it's, okay, let me eliminate everything and then give my system some time to heal. And then I can slowly start to reintroduce things. And I'm probably going to do a little bit better than I was for the last year because like my di- my digestive system was so wrecked. I think it's similar in this mm-hmm. case when we're talking about emotional pain and being in environments that are inflammatory, dangerous, unsafe for us, where- we need to literally just step out of that for a while and let ourselves heal, let ourselves figure out for ourselves what we need and what we want and, and what's, what we believe in and what's good for us and what's not good for us. Like we need to not take that food. We need to not take that, be in that environment so we can truly heal And then when we've curated a space that feels completely safe and we're now in control again and we've gotten a clearer sense of what went wrong and what is just absolutely not okay and what is just a matter of, okay, I can re-engage this, but I want to do it this way. Once we establish mastery of one level, feeling safe at one level, feeling like we're in control again of our minds and our, you know, spirits and our bodies, then we can challenge ourselves. Okay, maybe I do want to check out church again, but for sure I need this and not that. Maybe I do want to invite more people into my life, but I know that I can do this kind of person and not that kind of person. Mm. I don't need to, it's not everybody I need to X out. It needed to be that for a while, but now that I'm feeling a little stronger and a little bit more safe, I can venture out again and explore again because I've found safety and completeness within myself for a while. Does that make sense?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it it definitely does. Should people... So obviously, mental health professional, like you're looking at this. How important do you think it is to do that with somebody who is trained in a field like this to find someone who is a mental health professional and walk through that with them? or is that something that people need to start on their own and then a few months down like, at what point do you get someone in to help guide you through that process?
2: Yeah. It's definitely a personal thing, a personal choice that you need to make. I would say what to look for is if you're trying to do this by yourself and you are still just overwhelmed with anxiety, sadness, fear, anger, rage, you're trying to work through this and your kind of feelings are overtaking you. I I would say for sure that would be, that would be, it would be really important for you to get additional support. There are mental health professionals that specialize. I know many myself that specialize in religious abuse, spiritual Mm. abuse, leaving the church, reclaiming their identity, all of that. There's people out there doing that work. And even if you're not, even if you're not overwhelmed by your emotion, but you just want to fully unpack what it is you've endured, I would say I would highly suggest a therapist who addresses this work. Is it compulsory? No. But I, I actually think more people could benefit from working with someone who that is their only goal to help you unpack what you've gone through and, and grieve what you've lost and find safety again, find trust again, build a community that honors and dignifies who you are. Who doesn't need that? Right. <laughs> who doesn't yeah. need that? So it would, I would highly suggest that. But you, you can always start with friends and small community community.
0: Now, it I've had a lot of listeners just, and, and again, this is just another practical thing, but I've had a lot of listeners that have reached out to therapists and I've tried test a couple therapists I've, I've had. I even had a therapist come on and share like where you can find different therapists and walk through that process and how to see if it would be a good fit. But the biggest complaint I hear often is that a lot of therapists are very helpful on some of the immediate trauma side but they don't understand all the religious webbing that ties into the story mm-hmm. and like how that affects. And it, it's not because they're not educated or they don't know their subject. It's just that they specifically don't understand maybe a strict fundamentalist religious background, or they might not understand how the spiritual side impacts everything. So for someone who's looking for a therapist, how, do, you know, is there a good resource that you can think of, or is there a good way to know if someone is equipped to handle like religious trauma specifically?
2: If you're looking for a therapist for this, I would ask specifically about that. I would say, I want to come into therapy because I grew up in this way and I'm looking for someone to help me unpack this. I've gone through a lot of abuse. Is that, have you worked with people like this before? Do you have experience in that? Um, Asking very specific questions about what it is you need and what it is you Mm. want from a therapist can go a long way. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the right fit the first time. And I know that can be discouraging. I'm in therapy now. I'm I'm always in therapy. (laughs) And I remember it was quite a journey to find someone I felt like could really deal with everything that I needed for myself. But I did have that knowledge to ask very specific questions and to trust that this person could take me to where I needed to go given what I've brought to them. Questioning and seeing if someone has had experience working with someone with religious abuse or just looking for an expert in that specifically, I'll definitely share with you one, I happen to be a chair of the board of a community called the Reclamation Collective. And that's literally their specialty. Their therapists mm. and volunteers. Their literal spe- specialty is religious abuse. And so sometimes it's a matter of looking at not just a therapist who could deal with this, but literally people who specialize in this type of work can go a really long way. But also just starting your own community could, could be helpful. It's a book you find that you want to dive in together with a few friends or a few people, or a course you want to take, or or just meeting together weekly and talking, you know, raising one question that everyone talks about, creating community for yourself where you're literally just again sharing story and creating a sense of safety goes a long way for healing. As much as I love therapy, I also do believe in, obviously I wrote a self-help book because I do believe there's something about self-driven healing in community that can go a long way if done well.
1: Yeah,
0: no, that's super, super helpful. I definitely want to check out the Reclamation Collective. It sounds really interesting. And it's been yeah. something for me, like I, I have a therapist that I talked to fairly often from Atlanta. And I asked her when I interviewed her, I was like, oh, can I just hire you? And she was like, no, I can't outside of Atlanta. And uh, But she's encouraged me a lot of times, hey, definitely get into it. She actually encouraged, one of the things she encouraged my guests to do is when looking for a therapist, ask if they see a therapist. And she said, if they don't, then it's probably a red flag that you shouldn't use them. But yeah, I'm definitely curious to check that out. I think that'll be a good resource for my listeners as well. Before we wrap up, obviously I want people to go pick up a copy of Why Do I Feel Like This? Definitely grab it right now while you're listening to the show add it to the cart and check it out. Is there anything else that you'd like people to connect with you on any social media sites or anything that people should look for you on and follow your story as it, as it progresses?
2: Yeah, I would definitely say get connected with me on Instagram. That's why I share updates, life updates, work updates. And so that's just, it's peace Samadhi, but that would be a good place to follow the journey and see the times where I talk specifically about this stuff, <laughs> religious abuse, spiritual abuse, and just validating some of the painful things that we've endured because we're part of a church. And I'm confident that I can speak to audiences that still claim to faith like I do, mm-hmm. but audiences who may not, but still need validation for what went wrong. I do address that in the books. Let's okay, you had faith. You believe in God and you don't, I have language for what happened. And sometimes knowing that language is validating in itself. Oh, there's a concept for this. Like you said, spiritual mm-hmm. bypassing, there's a term right. that explains why I was so hurt. Yeah, yeah I would say, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm an okay person to, to follow if you're looking for understanding for when things go and when things go wrong, when it comes to mental health and the church.
0: Yeah. And definitely too, like you mentioned, there's some exercises in the book that help you un- unpack a lot of those things. And literally some written exercises where I got to the first one while I was reading through it. and I was like, I can't do this. This is going to be too much. So I like literally dog-eared the page and then kept, cause I started reading it and I was like, oh man. So I was like, kept reading ahead and went back and then looked at it a little bit later, but it, it is, it gets really deep into a lot of those topics and gives really clear, if you are uncomfortable talking to someone or haven't found somebody, like it's a great kind of self-help guide to work through some of it. And uh, it is really helpful, but thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing. I definitely want to link out to all the resources you mentioned so people can check it out, but I appreciate you just sharing some knowledge in the last hour with my audience. It's really helpful. Thank you
2: so much for having me, Eric. I love talking about this stuff and I just, I'm rooting for your audience, your listeners, that they find what they need. They find the community and the safety that they need. Cause we all deserve that. We all deserve that. So thanks for this conversation.